0: Go ahead and stand with me this morning, please, and reach for your Bibles quickly, if you don't mind, Pastor Tony and this worship team and this choir and these musicians. What an incredible job you've done today, as you do every week, leading us into the presence of God. And that is a one of my favorite songs that they've just come out with, I guess, a few months ago. Thought I was to die for. Thought I was worth saving. Thought I was worth keeping. What an amazing thought. He would die for me. Go to First Corinthians chapter one this morning. I'm gonna move quickly today, if you don't mind. First Corinthians chapter one. I'm gonna read one verse of scripture, verse 18 today. And Pastor Tony had no idea I was going this direction this morning, but I'm gonna probably preach one of the most simplistic gospel messages that you have probably ever heard me preach. I don't have deep theological, profound principles to give you today. I don't have any layers to really peel back and try to give you this gold nugget, but I just have a simple gospel message today, if that's all right. I still think we need the basics. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, here's what the Apostle Paul says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God of God. And how many of you know that the cross indeed contains a message? I want to take a few minutes this morning, if the Lord will help me, I want to preach on this thought. It's simple, the message of the cross. There's a message. And that old wooden beam and that cross beam, there's a message contained in the cross, And I'm telling you, I feel compelled today just to preach Jesus Christ, Him crucified, buried, resurrected, and coming back to take us home again. Hallelujah. I just want want to preach the gospel message today. Can I do that? Let me pray. Father, bless today the reading of the Word of God. Bless the hearts of the people to receive, the ears of the people to hear, the eyes of the people to see. God, may we just apply this truth to our lives. And God, here's my prayer. If there's one person here today as I've been praying this week, that is not certain or sure of their relationship with you before we walk out of this building today, I pray that the foolishness of preaching, God, will just convict their hearts and they'll make a decision to surrender their lives to you. I bless you for it in Jesus' name. The church said amen. God bless you. Be seated today quickly. Thank you for standing, Pastor Tony. Thank you today. Tuesday, September the 11th. 2001 dawned cloudless, breezy, and brilliant across the eastern seaboard. Millions of Americans in this great country were on their way to work that day. In New York City, it was the first day of school. It was also a primary election day that day. By 8 o'clock that morning, 19 hijackers had boarded four airplanes. And in doing so, they had defeated every layer of security that America's civil aviation security system then had in place. They turned four transcontinental flights, laden with jet fuel, into guided missiles. By the time that they were done with their destruction, 2,977 people were left dead that day. Among the dead were civilians from 38 different states the District of Columbia, and over 70 countries. Also among the dead that day were 353 firefighters and rescue personnel, 60 police officers, and 55 military personnel. It's estimated that the building and property and structure damage from that day was somewhere around $10 billion. They've estimated that the price tag on 9-11 is somewhere in the range of $3 trillion. By the time the dust had settled on that fateful day, like many of you, I knew exactly where I was on that day. Jensen was seven months old. I was sitting in our little two-bedroom apartment in Martinsville, Virginia. It was my day off. Kelly went to the office to work, and it was my day to be home with my boy. The phone rang at the apartment, and Kelly said, Turn on the TV. And for the rest of that day and in that evening and even in the days following, I just watched as this country was shell-shocked. And we all knew that after that day, things would never be the same again. Interestingly, in the days and weeks that followed 9-11, church attendance in this country soared to an all-time high. It's estimated that on the Sunday following 9-11, Pastor Tony, that over half of the adult population attended church somewhere that Sunday. Sadly, though, it didn't take long for the shock and the horror and the numb feeling that we all had to wear off, and thus church attendance went back down to its normal. See, it's in moments of crisis and in moments of chaos and tragedy that people tend to be driven toward God. And there has to be something beyond those moments of crisis and moments of chaos and those moments where we have fear of the future that drives us to Christ. See, the truth of the matter is is that all of us need a relationship with Jesus Christ that goes beyond a crisis moment. A couple of days after 9-11 on September the 13th, there was an excavator named Frank who was down in the midst of the carnage of Ground Zero. He had worked tirelessly. Through the day and through the nights, removing rubble and ruin and sifting through all of the carnage there, looking for bodies and even remains. There was something very striking that he saw coming up from ground zero. Permit me today to use one more video clip to help communicate the message I want.
1: Sisters and brothers, let us pray. We pray for peace. We pray that this will never ever happen again. Bless us and all religions together in harmony as sisters and brothers of the same God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. On September 13th, uh, 2001, a construction uh, worker named Frank Stiletzier of uh, Local 731 Laborers. I was going to World Trade Center 6 part of the uh, recovery operation, hopefully looking for uh, live bodies.
2: We uh, searched the whole building, took us the better part of the whole evening. We only came up with three bodies and no survivors.
1: While he was there, he he did a double take, and he noticed right on the uh, the ground of World Trade Center 6, there was a uh, a structure that looked like uh, a Christian cross
2: and I directed the firefighter that was assisting me to take a look into the pit. In the middle stood the cross. It brought such overwhelming feelings to me that it dropped me to my knees in tears.
1: And that gave him great comfort and consolation and he was telling people, and within 10 days later he showed it to me and I verified this is truly important and this needs to be preserved and for the world to see. But On September 23rd, when I found out about the cross, which Frank Celestia founded, I made an immediate phone call to first Deputy Mayor, Joseph Loda, that we needed to preserve the cross and keep it at ground zero. Within a few moments, I got a call personally from then mayor, Rudolph Giuliani. His father, absolutely, we will keep that cross at ground zero as a reminder of God's love for all of us. Well, it brings back very, very strong memories of the days after September 11. The cross was discovered two days after. Uh, Father Jordan uh, was able to focus on it and put it in a very important place, right where all of the recovery efforts were going on. And then he would say mass there every Sunday, sometimes during the week, have other religious services there. It became like a rallying cry or a focal point for many people. I know there's all these issues about religion and This was beyond religion. This was a significant part of what happened in the days after September 11th that kept a lot of people going.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, this is beyond belief. The World Trade Center buildings are gone. They are ashes.
1: This is how we found it September 13, 2001. This is how we see it. This will be the last day we'll be outside. It's been outside for nearly 10 years. This was the worst attack in the history of the United States. It was uh, intended to break our spirit, and instead of it breaking our spirit, people emerged stronger from it. That uh, cross symbolizes that, and I'm very glad that it's gonna be part of the memorial. Now the Ground Zero Cross, which has a 10-year journey, it finally has its uh, its resting place, its final home here in the museum.
2: Cross means to me healing, comfort, something to look for as an avenue to comfort your sorrow. Uh, help revitalize you. Got to remember, on that day, our faith was crushed. And through that cross, it helps rebuild our faith because terrorism took down the towers, but faith rebuilds our hearts.
0: In the midst of all the rubble and all the ruin, and the charred remains of buildings and bodies, the cross was still there. Many on that day and in the days that would follow would look to the cross as a symbol of hope. And 15 years later, the cross still offers Hope. As a matter of fact, the cross is over 2,000 years old. And 2,000 years later, the cross is still offering hope to lost men and women and boys and girls. And it's amazing to me that even though the cross is as old as it is, it is still relevant to our culture today. I want to make a statement here, and I don't want you to miss this. If this is all you get, then we can be done. We could go home. The cross changed everything. I'd like to submit to you this morning that the cross still changes everything. Somebody once said that the cross is the missing piece. In the middle of every puzzle. Without it, we are helpless. We are hopeless. But with it, the puzzle is solved. The cross changed everything. The scripture text that I just read to you, Paul mentioned the message of the cross, and I'm going to move real quickly today. That cross contains a message. Number one, it contains a message of faith. A message of God's faith, God's hope, and God's trust that men and women who are looking for something more than this life has to offer, it was God's hope and God's trust and God's faith that men and women who want more would come to the cross and would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the old song we used to sing at the cross, at the cross. Where I first saw the life I could sing, I'd break out and sing it. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. The cross speaks of God's hope that men and women and boys and girls would come and would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of man putting his faith in someone other than himself. Because here's the truth today. None of us in this building are smart enough, secure enough, strong enough savvy enough or even successful enough to save ourselves and live this life on our own. Every single person, including the preacher today, we don't have the strength in our own selves to live this life. We have a need in our hearts. And I want to tell you, you can go to a lot of places and experience a lot of things, but I've still found there's only one thing that can can satisfy a weary, wandering, lonely soul. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the cross speaks of faith that man would put in Christ and say, it's not about me. I can't live this life in my own strength or in my own power. But I surrender myself to you, Lord. Come and take complete and total control of my life. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16 and 24? If any man is going to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross speaks to us of surrendering our lives to Christ. Is that not what Paul had in mind when he penned Galatians 2 and 20 when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself. me, The cross says, you know what, God, I can't do this on my own. It's not about my dreams. It's not about my desires. It's not about my hopes. It's not about me trying to live this life in my own power and my own strength. But when I come to the cross and I bow my knee, I say, God, I surrender all to you. I put my faith, my hope, my trust in you and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the cross is a message of faith. Number two, the message of the cross is a message of hope. Not hope just for the present, but hope for the future. You do understand that eternity is a real thing. I'm just going to preach simple today and that every single one of us in this building today, Brother Gene Turbin, we are going to face eternity. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to face eternity without God. The writer of Hebrews 9 and 27 said, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, judgment. You know what that means today? Sir, ma'am, teenager, every single one of us will stand before God. And Brother Kenny Hancock, we're all going to give an account of our lives and how we live, good, bad, or indifferent. We will give an account for how we live. I don't want to face eternity without God. I sat this week with Tiffany Gilbert's sister-in-law, Kim. I spent about an hour with her the other day. We have a very interesting relationship. I, I met her just several weeks ago when she first went into the hospital and got sick. And I'm going to tell this story. And when I got to the hospital that day, Kim loves the Lord. And I'm going to show you something in a minute. that's going to help illustrate my point here. But the day I got there, and you know, she'd been off and on of, of, of ventilator and breathing. She was just so sick. And the day I got there, she was eating this popsicle. And when I walked in, Tiffany said, Pastor, you need to be careful. She's a little agitated today. And she's using some slang words. I said, it's okay. No worries. So we're sitting there, and um, I, I, she came out with this word. I, I didn't really bat an eye, and I just looked at her. and said, now listen, Kim, I have an alternative word for you that you can use. I said, when I was a little boy, and we would go to my grandparents' house, and my grandparents, they were heathens. They didn't love Jesus. And... Uh, when me and my brothers would go, it was my, my, my dad's parents, they were huge football fans. I mean, they were season ticket holders of the Redskins, and it just, it's, you know, it's just passed on down through the blood, and, and we would watch football games there. My grandmother, when, when things didn't happen to go her way, she would just get up and yell, oh, bullfrog. It dawned on me later on that when we weren't there, I'm pretty sure she didn't say Bullfrog. So I said, to Tiff, I said to Kim, I said, Tim, i got a word for you. My grandmother used it when I was a little boy. And I said, instead of saying the other one, how about you just use bullfrog? So she did, and she started to affectionately call me Pastor Bullfrog. <laughs> so I walked in the other day, and she said, Pastor Bullfrog. I said, Kim, how are you doing? Matter of fact, Tony and Chris went to visit her, and when they left the night, she said, make sure you tell Pastor Bullfrog I said hello. So I'm sitting at her bedside, and she's sick, but she can still talk. Oxygen mask on. And I'm telling you, I was supposed to go there and probably encourage and bless her, and I left encouraged and blessed because I laughed more in that hour than I laughed in a long time. She's a hoot, I'm telling you. But she said something to me. She said, Pastor, I'm ready to die. I said, okay. And uh, she said, I I just want to make sure that I, I haven't done anything to offend the Father. She said, I, I believe my heart's right. And I want to make sure I haven't offended the Father in any ways. And he, she said, you know what, Pastor? She said, eternity's a long time. And then she said something. I mean, it's, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. She said, I want to make sure I'm on the right side of eternity. God, I about preached in that, in that room that day. I said, Kim, I want to be on the right side too. I said, I don't know what the left side looks like. And she said, well, I certainly don't want to be on the wrong side. But the right, listen, I don't know about you, but I want to be on the right side of eternity. My God, I told her, I said, Kim, you're going to make me preach. A woman laying there, unless there's a miracle, she's going to die. And she knows she's going to die. But she says, Pastor, the only thing I care about, I want to be on the right side of eternity. I'm telling you, when that day comes, and I want to tell you, it's coming. That if Jesus does not return, I've used this a lot in my years of ministry. They're going to put you in a box and wheel you right down to a church like this. And some preacher's going to get up behind this pulpit like me in a dark suit. And hopefully he's going to say a bunch of nice things about you. Hopefully. And he's going to preach this sermon. He's going to preach to the family. They're going to leave. They're going to put that box in a hearse drive to a cemetery. We'll read out one final scripture passage. The preacher will walk through and shake hands with the family. The pallbearers will put their boutonnieres on top of the coffin. They'll say their last goodbyes. They'll come back to a church like this, go to a dining hall like that, and eat chicken and potato salad in your honor. That will be the end of your life. Physically. But I'm telling you, the day you die... Your body may die, but I promise you, based on what I know from this book and what I've been preaching for 20 plus years your soul is going to live in one of two places. If you have known the Lord Jesus Christ and had a relationship with him I'm telling you that forever you will live up in a place called heaven where there is no night. Listen, because the light of the world takes away the darkness. There is no night. There is no sorrow. There is no weeping. There are no tears. Everything is wonderful and joyful and you live in the presence of an almighty God for eternity but if you don't make that decision down here it's too late when you die and you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell I'm just going to preach the gospel today it won't get me on tv probably but who cares about that anyways you're going to face eternity And you have got to decide where you want to spend eternity. I want to be on the right side. I don't want to hear him say, depart from me, worker of iniquity I never knew you. I want to hear him say, when I get there that day, Travis M., Gore and M is none of your business. Well done, my good and my faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord that I have prepared for you. Listen, if you're here today and you're not sure what side of eternity that you're standing or sitting on, I promise you before you leave this place today, you can pray a simple prayer and surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and invite Him into your life. He'll transform you, He'll make you brand new, and you can walk out of this place. Place on the right side of eternity. I don't know about you today, but I want to be on that side and spend forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this life we're living is not just about down here. There is life to live beyond this world and this earth. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15 19? That if we in this life only have hope in Christ, We're of all men most miserable. If you think this is all there is, you're sadly mistaken. I'm telling you, the day you close your eyes in death, you will wake up in one of two places. I promise you that when you die, you're not coming back as a unicorn, a dog, or anything else. Reincarnation is a bunch of hogwash. I'm telling you that when you die... If you don't know Christ, there is no holding cell that you're going to to wait for the day of judgment. You are either going one of two places, either to live with Christ forever in in eternity or you're going to live in a place of eternal torment and damnation and darkness forever. And it's a place called hell. And you won't hear many preachers talk about it anymore or preach about it anymore or write about it anymore, but it's a real place. And when men and women go there, they are lost forever. I don't want men and women to go there. I don't ever want to stand before God and have Him say to me, Gene Turbine, Why didn't you preach the truth? Why didn't you tell them the truth? Why didn't you preach the gospel? I'm preaching the truth to you today. I'm preaching the gospel to you today. If you don't have Christ in your heart, you need him more than the next breath that you take today. The cross is a message of hope for all of eternity. For God so loved the world, Brother Stout. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the third message of the cross. Pastor, when you come play, I don't know which, what you've got planned to play. You can do the song you did for offering if you want or you can, if you can break out at the cross, it'll be good too. I don't, Whatever you want to do. The cross is a message of faith. It's a message of hope. It's a message, are you ready for this? It's the greatest message of all. It's the message of love. Somebody say that. Say love. Say it again. Say love. The cross screams, I love you. You don't don't get any more simple than this this morning. You know, the problem with us nowadays, we've become so complex, and we've tried to become so deep and so theological and so profound I just, listen, I got this little thing I believe, Brother Ronnie Burchett. A little acronym called KISS for me. Keep it simple, stupid. I need all the help I can get. I don't need to try to be deep and profound and complex. I just need to tell the truth. What did Jesus say? Greater love has no man than this, Brother Beckner, but that he laid down his life for his friends. But God, according to Romans 5 and 8, but God demonstrates His love toward us. I love this verse. While we were yet sinners, and he, he died for us. Wait a minute, Pastor. While we were yet sinners, you don't think that God didn't know that we would reject Him? You don't think that, that, that God didn't know that we would live our own life for a while, and we would be wayward, and we would disappoint Him and break His heart. You don't think God didn't know that? But He sent Jesus anyway. In the midst of rebellion and transgression and filthy, horrible, rotten sin, and please don't try to categorize sin. Well, you know, this little sin here, sin is all sin, and it separates you from God. God. And religious people think there's these levels of sin. Well, my sin's not as bad as their sin. You're right, your sin is worse because you got a Pharisaical judgmental spirit. That's good preaching right there. Thank you. You can tell me later if you want to. We were yet sinners. My mind doesn't wrap around that, that, that thought. Well, I was living in rebellion toward God and hating God, I was at enmity with God, I was an enemy of God. And God said, I know you're going to be like that, and while you're still in that state, I'm going to give Jesus Christ to die for your sins so you don't have to die and be separated from me for eternity. But God demonstrated. There was a demonstration of love at Calvary that day, Dale Basham. The demonstration was Christ hanging suspended. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. That's a demonstration of love. Do you think that you deserved what he did? If anybody says yes, I'm going to have to come back here and jerk you up by your neck. Do you think we deserve Calvary? You know what we we all deserve? We deserve judgment. You know what I deserve? I deserve hell. I deserve complete and total separation from God and darkness forever. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. But mercy said no. Grace said I'm going to make a way. level, we were yet sinners. He died for us. Listen, I just quoted John three sixteen a minute ago, but there's another. There's another John three sixteen. First John three sixteen. And by this, it said we know love because he laid down his life for us. Go read First John three sixteen. We overlook that one. By this, we know love because he laid down his life for us. Do you think he he had to do that? Do you think that he was just forced? No, willingly. 1 John 4.19, you know what it says? We love him because he first loved us. You didn't love him first. Oh, Pastor, I love him. You don't you didn't love him first. He loved you first and demonstrated it by the cross. The cross says, I love you. Let me close with this little story and we'll be done. two teenage boys sitting on a church pew one night in service and the preacher was up doing what I'm doing today. He's preaching, telling the gospel, sharing the truth of the word of God. The preacher began to tell this story that he'd heard some time ago and they say that it it wasn't a true story but it was was almost like a parable, those things that Jesus used to, an illustrated story. And he talked about this man and his son and his son's friend who were out on the Pacific Coast sailing. This horrible storm blew in. The waves just became dangerous, and there was no way that they were going to be able to make it back to shore. And although the father was an experienced sailor, he just could not control Mother Nature and could not keep that boat from capsizing. All three of them landed in the water, the story said. And at that moment, the father grabbed a rescue line in his hand. The two boys were much further out from the boat. And at that moment, that father had a decision to make. Would he throw the line to his son? Or would he throw the line to his son's friend? He didn't have but just a few fleeting moments and seconds to make that decision. And as he looked at his son that day, looked at his son's friend, he said to his boy, Son, I love you. And he threw the rescue line to his son's friend. As the preacher told that story. Those two boys straightened up on the pew and leaned in. Listen a little bit closer. And see, the father knew that his son was saved and had a relationship with Christ. And he also knew that his son's friend was not ready to step into eternity. So as he threw that rescue line to his son's friend and pulled him back toward that capsized boat and he turned back around, he watched his son slip beneath those waves into the dark of that night. His body was never recovered. Here's the point. Whether it's true or not, Here's the point. The principle is is, is dead on. That father could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into eternity without Christ. So in order to keep that from happening, he sacrificed his own son so that his son's friend could find Christ. Christ. You know, that's really the scope and the substance and the simplicity of the gospel message that we preach every Sunday. That God could not bear the thought of any of us stepping into eternity without Christ. So what did he do? He threw the rescue line. He threw the rescue line to us and sacrificed his own son so we could live. I don't know if it gets any better than that. I, I, I don't. I don't know. There's probably a hundred more creative ways you could preach this than I preached it today. But I don't. I don't know how much plainer that you can be. God loves you so much. He loves your family so much, your sons and your daughters so much that he could not bear the thought of them stepping into eternity without. Christ, so he sacrificed his son so they could live. My, that's amazing. Should bow your heads with me for just a moment, please. And I just want to ask today for you to consider where you are in your walk with Christ. The message of the cross today is a message of faith, it's a message of hope. More than anything else, it's a message of love. The cross screams, I love you.